Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You see, it's a good tune. The instrumentals are good, but he can't sing. That's all I'm saying. He can't sing. He's like, one texter said it perfectly. He's kind of screaming the lyrics along with the music. I don't know. It's Hardline. That's if you were listening to the first show uh, with Randy Bush over the uh, Sunday morning edition of A New Morning. That's what we were talking about. Bruce Springsteen in his uh, lack of... Of being able to sing. I think you no- notice it most in We Are the World. Oh, God, I remember that okay. show, yes. When he sings, him and Cindy Lauper, they're not that good. You can just notice, compared to Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, and then Bruce Springsteen comes yelling the lyrics. It always reminded me of a karaoke skit when the two of them got up there. Because, <laughs> you know, I was never a huge Springsteen fan. And I used to feel like, what am I missing? Because in his peak, I mean, people loved him. He was incredibly popular and still is, obviously, to some degree, but I was never a big fan. There's one song I like of his, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which I think we're going to use in a bump a little later. At 1015, yeah. So uh, yeah. I've never heard that one. Oh, my gosh. But, I can't believe you don't know that one. But nonetheless, I'll be curious to see what your opinion is. But yelling, that's him. He yeah, yells. He yells. It drives I, me crazy when people yell into a mic. He has great instrumentals. Um, but, you know, hey, it's carried him this far, so... But best of luck to him. Clarence Clemens, <laughs> to me, was the key component in that band. Oh, for sure. Great sax player. For sure. Well, it is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Going to talk a little money. Uh, but first, first, I want to mention, went and saw the nerds last night. How were they? At the new Thin Man on Chandler. They were great. They're always great, of course. Um, huge crowd, as always. I, I have to say, one of Buffalo's top cover bands. The nerds gone wild. Absolutely, yeah. They're fun. They're different. They're talented. It's not just a gimmick. But you know, I made the I made the uh, the biggest mistake anyone could make. Left my phone in the oh. back of the Uber. Attempted to call the guy uh, last night through Katie's phone. I signed in to my Uber uh, account and called him, and he answered and said, "Well, if I'm in the area, I'll drop it off." Oh. And then hung up. Left him a voicemail this morning. Luckily, I have the lost phone. Um, feature, find my phone feature on my iPhone. So I know exactly where my phone is located. So if he doesn't get back to me by noon, I'll be making a trip. I was going to say, I think you might be headed to your local friendly uh, uh, iPhone store. I won't give a brand. No, yes. I'll tell you, Joe, do you feel naked? Oh, I do. Because I would be panic stricken if I lost my phone. I do. Luckily, we have all these computers here so I can at least talk to people through Messenger on Facebook. Yes, it helps. Um, But yeah. So, and you can use Katie's phone when you're with her, obviously. That's but. true. Yeah, but here, this my thought is: if he doesn't get back to me, he has the studio number. So Frank's on a uh, Frank's on Garden there. Just give him the hotline number. 
And I gave him the uh, the warm line oh. so it wouldn't mess with anything on air. Um, he has that number. If he doesn't get back to me by noon, I will, uh, like I said, I know exactly where my phone is. I will go to that address, say, hello, sir. Uh, I, I understand you get $15 when I get this back. So if I could just have my phone back, that'd be <laughs> that great. That would be nice. I hope he's not holding it hostage on you, Joe. I hope not either. I hope he doesn't expect more than 15 bucks. Well, your day probably wasn't as bad as Andrew Luck's. What a bombshell no. last night when uh, the Indy Colts quarterback decided to retire. Poor guy has had one uh, serious injury after another and uh, was quoted as saying he was mentally worn down. And apparently there's a press conference later today where Luck will make it official. But it was an emotional time for him, and he just decided to hang it up. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean – you got to give him credit. He, he saw the writing on the wall. He hasn't played a full season. Uh, the guy's got great talent, but if you're hurt all the time, you know, what good is it? It doesn't do you much good. And the latest thing was an ankle injury that just wasn't getting better. And uh, people kept asking, when will he be back? And the time frame was extended. And now Frank Reich, former Bills quarterback, uh, you know, the guy who was really a legend in his own right in this area, has his hands full with his quarterback situation. I know you know their current quarterback well, Joe. Jacoby Brissett is in, and who is the backup to Jacoby Brissett? The None backup, other? Chad, Chad Kelly. Kelly. Jacoby Brissett was uh, NC State's quarterback and uh, saw him play against Virginia Tech in 2015. He was also on the Patriots for a while. I remember that, yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see Chad Kelly, Chad, that, that fourth game, you know, that fourth preseason game everyone laughs at for the Colts actually will mean something. You'll see both of those quarterbacks, I think, in extended time. Oh, yeah. It'll be a dress rehearsal for the season at this point, unless they trade for somebody. But, yeah, that was very shocking news yesterday. The thing that always strikes me about Andrew Luck, great talent, very intelligent guy, and the neck beard, Joe. What a neck beard on that guy. <laughs> I have to say, though, to the fans in Indianapolis, booing him. I don't know oh, if you heard this. Classless. So the news was breaking during the game, and he was on the sideline, not padded up, but right, on the sideline. Right, I side saw line. him on the sidelines. And, um, you know, fans were booing Andrew Luck. It is really classless. I mean, the guy, you know, like I said, he doesn't want to go out there and get injured again. He said it's not just during football season. His off season, he's just in constant pain. Right. And Why? can you imagine a young man at that age already in constant pain? Well, look at the millions of dollars he made. You know what? It doesn't always matter. If you're in pain, it doesn't matter how big your bank account is. No, especially if you're retiring from something like the NFL at 29. Yes. I think that tells you how much pain he was in. I got to tell you, Joe, I went to Indianapolis last October, my husband Dan and I, and we went to the Bills game. Uh, I have friends who live down there. In fact, you may have seen their product. product. It's called Nickel City Ketchup. And uh, there's a guy from Orchard Park who relocated to Indiana after going to Purdue, and he works for a big tomato manufacturer down in the Indianapolis area. And he is such a fan of his hometown of Buffalo that he developed this ketchup called Nickel City Ketchup. And you'll see it around different locations in this area, restaurants, bars, pubs. And uh, he invited us down to see the game in Nickel City, and the company he works for has a beautiful, sweet Field level. I mean, I could almost reach out and touch the players. That's how close we were. That stadium is absolutely gorgeous. Have you ever been to the Indy Stadium? I've seen it from the outside uh, twice, driving to a wedding in Chicago and driving to the Virginia Tech. No, you know what? I'm sorry. I only saw it once. We did not go through Indianapolis um, when we went to go to Notre Dame. Lucas Oil Stadium. Yep, but I did drive right by it. It's beautiful from the outside. It is, Um, and it's right in the downtown area. And, of course, it begs the question, is that where Buffalo should put their stadium? So that's something we could certainly kick around on Hardline today. We're here until noon. 
Talking Politics. And I'm delighted to tell you, in just a few moments, uh, we'll have a friend of mine on. Elliot Eisenberg is an economist based in the D.C. area. He does a daily blog called Graphs and Laughs. And uh, Elliot's going to join us about all sorts of uh, uh, economy talk as uh, the G7 summit takes place. And there's plenty of stuff to talk about, including something called the inverted yield. So we'll get into that in just a few minutes with Elliot Eisenberg from D.C. Sounds great. Hope you uh, stick around. It's 1015. When we come back, we'll have Elliot here on Hardline. This is one of those songs that once you hear it, you're like, oh, I've heard it. I've heard it. All right. Welcome back to Hardline. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy on board. And it is a pleasure to welcome Elliot Eisenberg, also known as the Bowtie Economist. My friend Elliot down in D.C., good morning. Welcome. Good good morning, Brenda. Pleasure to be on. Great to have you on. And there's so much on uh, in the news this time of year with uh, – uh, the G7 summit, and uh, what caught my eye recently, Elliot, was your comments about the Fed and interest rate setters. Uh, what are you seeing right now in the D.C. area from your perspective about what's happening with the Fed? Oh, geez, wow. I mean, uh, Trump's latest comment of who's our bigger enemy, Xi Jinping in China or, or Jay Powell at the Fed, was probably an inappropriate comment. But Imagine that. Powell's going to lower rates. He has no choice. There's clearly continued slowing. Europe is slowing. U.S. manufacturing may be dipping into recession. Auto sales are weakening. Recreational vehicle sales are weakening. But the rest of the economy is holding up okay. So... But the deterioration in trade and the deterioration in global growth is probably pushing Powell's Powell's hands more than he wants. So they'll cut a quarter point next meeting into September, or if not then, middle November for sure. Uh, You know, we hear a lot, Elliot, about the R word. Do you think a recession is looming? And if so, what uh, what has to happen for that to become a reality? Or what has to happen for it not to happen? So my feeling on this has changed somewhat. If you look back, you know, recessions occurred in the past because of policy mistakes. The central bank raised rates too much or a shock, you know, OPEC in 73, OPEC in 79, the dot-com bust in 2099, you know, whatever it was, and the terrorist attacks on 9-11. This recession may well be different when it comes. It may well be, if we're not careful, it will be the result of a number of things conspiring together, slowing global growth, uh, trade problems that can't get resolved, Europe having problems internally with Brexit and Italy, Japan and South Korea. You add all this together, you knock off a couple tenths of a point here and there and here and there, and suddenly you've got a recession on your hands. It doesn't look like it's going to be a classical recession cause, like the central bank doing something stupid. They're not. They're on top of things. They're lowering rates. They're changing their tune. They're data dependent, and they move quickly. They change on a dime. So if we get a recession, which doesn't seem likely in the short run, I don't see one within the next nine months. I really don't. But beyond that, it gets very hard to tell because no one knows where this trade thing is going to go. Right. That seems to be the the the, uh, the big wild card at this point. Do you think we'll have any sort of answer on that within the next couple of months as we get into the, the fourth quarter with the trade policy? 
I'd be very surprised. It's gotten murkier as time has gone on. A year ago, I was actually pretty bullish on the whole thing and thought it was going somewhere productive, and we were pushing China, and this was good. But I'm beginning to lose patience at this point as an economist. As a, as a politician, maybe it's different, and as a strategist, maybe it's different. But I don't see how we get out of this, and this is causing business a tremendous amount of angst. It's, it's causing them to pull back on investment. They don't know where to invest in the States, maybe Mexico, but Mexico maybe is off tariffs there, uh, Japan, China, maybe we'll have tariffs with them. So firms are holding back on business investment. This is slowing GDP. We need to get this resolved, but I don't think it's possible until the next election. Have we seen something like this, the uh, tariffs on China, the tariffs on Mexico, in the past where countries uh, did something similar and it led to a recession in their economy? Um, there's very rare to have really big trade wars. This is this is a post World War II phenomenon. It just hasn't happened, right? We had the, the Depression, we had Smoot Hawley and stuff like that, but that's almost a hundred years ago at this point. So Powell even mentioned on his one of his speech on Friday in Jackson Hole, a major speech he gave, that that we don't really have a guidebook for what's going to follow. And my big concern is the trade tariffs are a tactic. They're not a strategy. Uh, it's rare for countries to have raised tariffs over the last 60, 70 years. Everything that's happened, the World Trade Organization before that, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, GATT, were all designed to lower tariffs. Now we're raising tariffs, and China's a different story. You could move manufacturing from France to Germany or vice versa, but no one's got the labor force and expertise that China has. You simply can't replace them all that easily. You need two million workers to make a phone or a radio. You can't get them in Vietnam or Cambodia. Is it just simply the sheer number of people in China, Elliot? Is it as simple as that, And you know, to your point? It's in part that, yes, it's that and the expertise and the supply chains that, that they've created. So you need to make, get the components for whatever you're making. Well, they're available in the town over, and those folks have expertise in assembling them and building the, the components and assembling the, the, the thing, whatever the thing is, a motherboard or whatever. But other countries don't have the, the infrastructure either, the roads and port systems to manage it all. So changing these supply chains is complicated, and they have to be in low-wage countries. U.S. is never going to compete with China on, at the lower end of the manufacturing scale. So moving companies, moving activity back here is not realistic. We can make airframes, you know, Boeing airframes or, or cars, parts of cars. But even cars, we assemble the, the, low, the, low, the low productivity events are done in, in Mexico, and they re-import the car here for the, finish, the finishing stuff, which is more expensive and higher value added. Talking with Elliot Eisenberg, who's an economist in Washington, D.C. And Elliot, just, you know, a few days ago, the, the market really tumbled and there was a lot of talk about something called an inverted yield. And that is something that I'm trying to wrap my head around. Can you explain what an inverted yield is to a layman? Sure. The inverted yield curve. Right. So the idea is, look, the longer you borrow, the more you pay. So a house mortgage that's five years is going to have a lower interest rate than a mortgage that's 10 years. And the 10-year mortgage will have one that's lower than the 15-year, because the longer you borrow for, the more you have to pay the lender, because they're taking all kinds of risk, risk that the house price will decline, risk that you'll default on your mortgage. You get the idea. Longer time, more risk, because I'm up, more return. But recently, that relationship has flipped, and short-term rates have become longer than 
overnight rates and three-month rates have been longer than two-year and five-year and 10-year rates, and that's really strange. And what's unnerving about it is that it has preceded the last six or seven recessions. Every recession since 69 has been preceded by an inversion in the yield curve, where long-term rates are lower than short-term rates. So this is not a lot of a small, it's a small data sample, just six or seven observations, you know, recessions since 69. Uh, but it, it's unnerving everybody. And the Fed's trying to compensate by lowering the short end of the yield curve to get the, low, the, the higher end, the short end down. But then there's tariff struggles. The tariff spooks people and that lowers long-term rates because people think, oh, we're going to have tariffs. That's going to lower growth in the long run. So two-year and five-year rates become produced. So... This, there are reasons why the yield curve is not a good measure, as good a measure now as it was in the past. Rates are very, very low. There's other weird technical weird things like the term premium is negative and so on. There's been quantitative easing. You know, central banks have bought trillion dollars of bonds and so on. But it's still spooking the hell out of markets. So, and that's the other thing. If people believe there'll be a recession, then there may well be a recession. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the talk of the recession, the talk of the yield curve inversion, the talk about trade leading to a recession could, in fact, lead to a recession when I just don't see it because locally, the U.S. economy is good. Labor markets are strong. Unemployment is low. Wage growth is at 3.2 percent. There's nothing really bad with the economy that's going at you know, 2 percent. It ain't great, but it's fine. Elliot, with that said, though, so I know you said you don't see a recession in the next nine months. But are we still going to see these days, like Brenda mentioned last week, where the Dow loses 600 points in one day? And are we going to have days where we make that back? We do. I mean, if you look at the stock market over the last year and a half, it's gone absolutely nowhere since hitting a peak in early 18, right? We've had a year and a half of a nothing burger on the market. So we've had increased volatility, but no real growth because the economy is slowing, corporate profits are declining, and so on. This is understandable. It makes some sense. But I think this, the fear of trade and the fear of a recession in Europe and manufacturing numbers, everyone's scared. Everyone's spooked. Um, so this is causing markets to gyrate a lot. And the markets are gyrating often with the best of hopes when it goes up and the worst of expectations or fears when it goes down like it did Friday by 600 points or whatever it was. Fasten your seatbelts, huh, Elliot? As we wrap up, how can people uh, find more information about you on your website? And what's your website address? My website address is econ70.com, E-C-O-N, the number seven, the number zero, dot com. You can sign up for my daily 70-word blog on economics where I take economics and explain it in bite-sized chunks that are almost intelligible to you. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of that. I've been subscribing to that for days and, and weeks and years, and I look forward to learning in bite-sized portions uh, how to get through these economic terms and figure out what the heck is going on in our economy. Elliot Eisenberg, based in D.C., thanks a million for coming on this morning and for taking time out of your Sunday. My pleasure. I look forward to the next time already. Thank you both. All right. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, that is Elliot. He's from, where is he from again? Washington, right D.C. Washington, Elliot D.C. Elliot Eisenberg, yes. Is, he's a Ph.D., and he calls himself the bowtie economist. <laughs> Very interesting uh, gentleman, Joe. I've seen him speak at a couple of different uh, forums and seminars. And, you know, I always say he's a, a, an economist with a personality. He can yeah. make you understand things. He's got a great sense of humor. And these complex terms and numbers, uh, as he said, in bite-sized portions, make it much more palatable and easier to understand. So with all that said, we are going to be talking economy at least for the rest of this hour. would love to hear from you at 803-0930. Shoot us a text at 3930. We are a minute late for news with Alan Harris. 
But you're taking shots at me like it's Patron, and I'm just like, damn. It's 7 a.m. Well, actually, it's 10.38 a.m. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you clarified that. Here on <laughs> Sunday, it's Hardline. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you. Talking the economy for the rest of this hour. If you'd like to chime in, 803-0930. Just had Elliot on, Brenda. And, you know, hey, I've been, as you know, very pro the president trying to get fair deals, right? I, I've been, to this point, pro the tariffs because uh, I'm, I'm hoping something comes of it. But, you know, Elliot made a great point. That, well, if we start pulling businesses out of uh, China, wherever they go, they have to train those employees, right? That's going to cost money. So it's not going to be one of these things where tomorrow the cost goes back down. Right. It's, it's not interchangeable. The people are not, you know, commodities. Right. So, you, you know, I, that, that is a way I've never looked at it. So I'm still pro trying to get something done. But I think you also have to realize what Elliot said. The people making these products, they're trained. They have the manpower in China that you don't have in these other countries. That's true. And uh, we're referring to Elliot Eisenberg, who's a, a pal of mine. Uh, I heard him speak several years ago, and we've kept in touch. And they, he calls himself the bowtie economist. He's uh, a real character, but really an educated guy. He's got his Ph.D. and can break down these very complex economic issues into 70 bytes, basically. He puts out a... Um, uh, an email, and he sends it out every night, and it's his little, you know, different 70-word uh, message on what is happening in the economy. And it's always relevant, and sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's related to sports or pop culture, but there's always an economic vein running through it. So uh, it's uh, uh, econ70, the number 70.com, econ70.com. So good stuff from Elliot Eisenberg, and definitely helps break it down for us. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about the the anxiety over the economy right now, Joe. I read a recent survey that nearly three in five respondents to the survey said they were worried about the economy, regardless of whether they were personally struggling or doing well financially. So there's a little bit of shakiness, I think. The American confidence in the economy is somewhat fragile at this point. You know, and another interesting thing Elliot said to that point, Brenda, is if we do get a recession— It'll be based on these people's people's fears. Exactly. Because right now the economy really is doing great. You have low unemployment. Uh, you have a hiring labor force, especially in the next few months. You'll have that will definitely go up uh, for temporary work. Uh, the market isn't losing. Elliot uh, pointed out the market isn't losing much because every day it has a 600, 700 down day. It makes that money back. Absolutely. It's yeah. kind of just staying in the same area. Um, so it, it looks like people's fears could actually trigger a recession more than actual um, what's going on in the economy, I what's think going on in the markets. The perception is so important, Joe, especially nowadays. Just think about how different it is in our in our world, your generation and my generation, how um, it's so important because you can get 24-7 access no matter what, whether it's the Internet, whether it's you know other forms of media, certainly social media. Uh, it's everywhere. There's multiple touch points. And one thing I want to point out, too, about that survey where nearly three in five people uh, responding to the survey said they were worried about the economy. It's important to point out that it crosses party lines and encompasses a large group of voters. So it was three in 10 Republicans and seven in 10 independents. So it's not skewed one way or the other. I want to just point that balance out. So today, uh, actually during Randy Bushover's show, uh, President Donald Trump announced that Japan and the United States have made a trade deal for wheat and corn. Here is the president speaking about that deal. And this is a massive purchase of wheat also, in addition to everything else. This is a very large purchase of wheat. 
and uh, the very, very large order of corn will go quickly. We've been working with the farmers and uh, making very, very large payments for the unfair way they were treated by China. Uh, and uh, the farmers are very happy. They like, they like their president. So it, it looks early on in the uh, G7 meetings that President Trump is at least talking to other countries and smoothing some trade uh, deals over with Japan. I know he still has to talk to the prime minister of England. Boris Johnson. Yeah, who looks yes. just like him. <laughs> <laughs> they look like uh, they could be brothers, don't you think, Joe? They do. I mean, it looks like a British guy doing a spoof of <laughs> Donald Trump. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think he wears his tie quite as long as Trump does. That's but, true. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, when Trump saw Boris Johnson, uh, he was quoted as saying, you know who this guy is? Uh, he's going to be a fantastic prime minister. So I think, you know, at this point, there are two peas in a pod. We'll see how long that lasts, because I'm sure there's going to be differences. And I know that Trump had seemed to have mixed emotions about Johnson's predecessor, uh, Theresa May. Uh, there was also talk about how Emmanuel Macron, uh, the French uh, head of state, uh, is trying to kind of force Trump into the corner to talk about climate change. I don't know if you've been reading about that, Joe, but pretty interesting stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, Macron is the host here because they're meeting, the G7 is meeting in France. And so um, I think Macron looked at this as an opportunity to kind of corner him on the uh, whole issue of climate change. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. And of course, Iran is in the picture as well. So I'd be interested in knowing what people think, A, about what Elliot, Ab or excuse me, Elliot Eisenberg had to say about the economy, and B, what they think will come of this G7 meeting. 803-0930, a couple of phone lines open for you. Or Elliot, you'd like, a a Elliot Abrams. Yeah, Abrams. There's, there's a name there's from a the past. Flash, really, a blast <laughs> from the past. <laughs> can you tell I've been listening to BEN my whole yeah, life? Yeah, I, I definitely can. <laughs> Elliot Abrams, he was the weather guy my first stint at WBEN in the morning. I believe that. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah. But uh, Elliot Eisenberg is the economist we talked to, who I thought was very informative and helped uh, bring some of this complex stuff down. Some te uh, texture just into 3930 says, this is brilliant. USA produces lots of food. Japan is our ally. China needs our food production. A lot of this is a tactic to try to hurt President Trump. 3930 on the text board, 803-0930. If you'd like to call in, if you're just tuning in, talking a little economy, it seems to have been all over the news this week. Uh, we had the market have, not a crash, I think that word is used a little too liberally, but had a, had a pretty bad day. Yeah, and I think a crash is a scary word. I think you have to be careful using a word with those connotations, because what? don't you think about 1929 and the, you know, the, I think the Great Depression? I think we've, we've, uh, we're using recession a little too much. I do, too. Right? I mean, it seems yeah. everyone on the Democrat side, and I do agree with the president, it seems like they're hoping for a recession. They actually want your 401k to lose money just to get elected. I don't, I don't care if it's, if, if it's Republican or Democrat. I don't think anyone— should be wishing that there's a recession just because you don't like the person in the White House. Well, you know, Joe, that's why I found that survey so interesting, because there were even some Republicans who were expressing concern about the, uh, the economy and the state of the economy, where it's going in 2020. I mean, we're almost um, we're on the cusp of Q4. So I hope we have a very robust uh, holiday season. And you worked in retail for a long time. You must have seen a lot of folks coming in. Did you see a lot of uh, a swell of, uh, in the employment roles when you were working in retail? A swell in the employment roles? What yeah. do you mean, like more, more people coming to work at your store and other stores? Um, I mean, there were always, you know, applications, people wanting to work, but they did cut a lot of hours while I was there, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> does seem counter counterintuitive, doesn't it? Uh, you know, I mean, the holiday time, they would always add, you know, a few hours, but 
by the time I was leaving, yeah, it was it was a pretty bare uh, a bare shift in retail. But I do uh, I think we might see one of the best holiday shopping seasons. You do have more people employed than ever. Uh, th- those are people that are looking for jobs. You have a very low unemployment rate. You have um, a market like Elliot said that has every time it loses does come back. So people have more disposable income. So I'm hoping to see a very uh, what's the word you used vibrant robust uh, robust. Um, holiday season. And let's not forget the psychological impact of that. When you have a little more money in your pocket, you feel better about uh, your buying oh, yeah. power, obviously, and the ability to buy something or perhaps buy a little more than you normally would. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot to be optimistic about, I think, at this point. But this tariff thing is a, a moving part. It'll be very interesting to see what happens moving forward on that. It will. And by the way, I've got a bit of a gripe talking about the holidays. I don't want to go into a supermarket or a department store and see Halloween stuff and Christmas stuff you're on talking, top of that. You're talking to the wrong person, Brenda. Well, you I, were the guy putting the stuff out in uh, July I, for Halloween? I love the Halloween, not so much. Here's what I like about Halloween, all right? And I, I know we're going off topic. And a you're little wearing bit. orange, by the way. I am. This is what was in my duffel bag for uh, comfy clothes at work. Um, I like Halloween because it signals holiday season, right? November 1st. Christmas music starts playing on Star. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't mind it. I, I love the holidays. It is the best time of the year. Most people are in a great mood for two months. You know what I mean? Um, those two weeks in December, nothing beats it. The week before Christmas and the week between Christmas and New Year's are my two favorite weeks of the whole year. You know why I don't want to see uh, Halloween stuff out, Joe, in July and August and even Christmas stuff? You know, Now, I know some folks have said they've seen Christmas stuff out already, and certainly you're going to see more of it next Hobby month. Lobby. There you go. Already, there's it, it reminds me of winter and cold weather coming. I want to enjoy and soak in this gorgeous weather. We've had a beautiful summer after a very rough spring. Uh, so the idea of seeing that stuff pushed down our throats this early, way too soon. Too many connotations of cold weather. But see, Brenda, no thanks. those are the only time, that's the only time of year I enjoy the cold weather. Because it goes with Christmas. The snow goes with Christmas. And then January 1st. I want it to be 86 degrees right. again. You know what I mean? If only. 803 0930, star 930 on your cell phone. Shoot us a text at 3930. Talking the economy. We'll be with your calls when we come back. I have no idea what this is, but I love it. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Sounds like, um, Sounds like a Gunther song. Gunther? No, it's no? just a YouTube video that's called Instrumental Super Disco. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm going to use it this week. And uh, it's, nice music. it's like 45 minutes long, too. <laughs> We're going to have it on the rest of the show. Just playing right under us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Frank Curry, for coming in early today. 803-0930 if you'd like to give us a call. Shoot us a text at 3930 few great texts coming in. We'll, yeah, appreciate that. We'll kick off the 11 o'clock hour with those. But first, let's get to John in Rochester. John, good morning. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brenda. Hey, welcome aboard, John. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about uh, China and the tariffs. Uh, sure. The one thing, you know, I think the tariffs are overdone as far as the Trump is. Uh, it, it does hurt the economy, no doubt about it. It's a tax increase. However, uh I think before all this happened, before Trump took office, you know, we we had 1,100 tariffs in place already across uh, the spec, spectrum of the world. 
in various various products. So our tariffs aren't uh, something that's unusual. Uh, I think it's the sensationalism and the amount of the tariffs. I think that has a lot to do with it too. But I think people forget. Red, I, I still call them Red China. It's a communist country. The leaders of uh, China today are are the uh, they were kids during the uh, revolution of uh, the Red Guard who who were responsible for tens of millions of people being massacred and imprisoned under uh, Mao Zedong, and uh, they were the kids that turned their parents in. Uh, who if the kids heard something at home, they would. Uh, turn their parents in, and their parents would be in prison. And the kids were brainwashed into doing this. These are now the leaders of Red China. And Red China is, in a a lot of respects, is our enemy. They are uh, uh, slowly manipulating the world. They've gotten themselves into a lot of third-world countries that are indebted to them. They're building infrastructure all over the world in third-world countries. Uh, they, They have... I think they have control of the Panama Canal. They, uh, the uh, country of Panama has given China a contract to regulate the uh, Panama Canal. Uh, they're slowly and methodically uh, trying to uh, impose communist rule throughout the world. And, and uh, that's, what, that's one of the reasons we got into Vietnam. And I think uh, one of the reasons Vietnam was not a total loss. Right now... There are only five pure communist countries in the world. And I, I tabulate that up to our involvement in Vietnam. We stopped the spread of Chinese communism and Soviet Union communism uh, by being in Vietnam. There's only five, five countries, and one of them being China, I think North Korea, Laos, Vietnam, and Cuba. So... Uh, China is a very dangerous. Look what they're doing in Hong Kong. Right. Very, da- very dangerous country, and I think Trump has to take this hard stance, even though it could hurt us economically. Well, and he seems to be flip flopping a little bit too, John, because um, the president, you know, kind of indicated he was having regrets about his trade conflict with China. So he said he was quoted as saying um, in France that he's having second thoughts about everything. So I, I guess, you know, he's really trying to work it through as well. I'm not sure where it's headed at this point. Well, you know, you know Trump is dumb like a fox. He knows, he knows China he is our enemy. John Bolton is one of his uh, top advisors, and John Bol- Bolton has been talking about that for years. They're our enemy, but Trump is dumb like a fox. He's not going to go after uh, China, accuse them of being a terrorist country or a communist country, or bring up some of the things that I've, I've brought up. Uh, he's going to try to placate them, like it's a trade war, that's all we have. But in effect, it's, it's a major, major issue, and Trump realizes it, and I think uh, he, he, he's doing it right. So you think it's more of a tactic, John, to kind of keep them off balance when he flip-flops like that? Oh, absolutely. Look what China has done. They have, uh, uh, Vietnam actually is more of an ally with us than China because uh, China is trying to uh, have some control over Vietnam. China has taken over a number of different, uh, uh, they've laid claim to the South China Sea uh, as the sovereign country. Uh, they built some islands near the Philippines, military bases, uh, 
it's they're a dangerous country. Look out for China, man. I'm telling you, it's 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 unbelievable. Well, just the sheer number too, the the strength. I mean, it's just an enormous uh, population and power uh, in the Far East, obviously. So, of course, Vietnam could never compete on that level. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, uh, it's 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 a shame that uh, in when uh, Truman was president, MacArthur wanted to help the. Uh, nationalist Chinese fight the communists in China. That was one of the biggest strategic mistakes the United States ever made. Truman declined to do that. And the result was the communists take over China. Otherwise, it would have been a nationalist Chinese country. And uh, they would have been a big ally of ours, not the reverse. All right, John, great call as always. John in Rochester opens up a line for you at 803 803- 0930. We'll keep this going next hour. Throw a few more things at you as well. If you want to get on board, 803-0930. Shoot us a text at 3930. It's Hardline. Oh, yeah. Sounds like the 80s a little bit, more than disco. It's Hardline, News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy here with you. We ended last segment talking about the uh, president's comments on the trade war with China. Here's a rap from ABC about the president saying he has second thoughts on, quote, everything. If I press the right button, it shall play. We have a clarification from the White House press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, who has put out a statement saying the president was asked if he had any second thought on the escalating trade war with China. His answer has been greatly misinterpreted. Grisham says... President Trump responded in the affirmative because he regrets not raising tariffs higher. So a uh, clarification on the president's comments yesterday um, or this morning, depending on whose time you're following, (laughs) on uh, the trade war with China that has uh, it it seemingly has escalated. But we're just now kind of getting the focus because of the week the markets had, you know, people losing close to 2% of their 401k, uh, and they'll get that back, uh, as Elliot said in the first hour. That's uh, right. Most of that will come back, um, but it seems like on this G7 uh, summit, a lot of focus here in America is on the president and China um, and grilling him over that trade war. And also, Joe, uh, the Fed chairman, Jay Powell, is somebody that President Trump is not going to be sending a holiday card to, I don't think, anytime soon. No, no I don't and, think so. And he's not really cutting interest rates uh, as aggressively as President Trump thought he might. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that regard when um, when Trump comes back from France at the G7 G7 summit and see if these rates will change anytime in the next few weeks. 803-0930. Like I said, we're going to keep talking economy, but also other political news as Congressman Joe Walsh has jumped in to the presidential race. And a- it's not Joe Walsh from the Eagles, Joe. No, it's One not. One of the greatest guitarists, by the way. We were talking about that <laughs> earlier. <laughs> it is not. It is a congressman in, oh, Brenda, I should have done my homework. He's a congressman from somewhere. Illinois. 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 And he's a big fan of those in the Tea Party. Yes, and he's been very critical on Twitter of the president. Here's a few, uh, a few of sound bites from his announcement. When the president of the United States stood in front of the world and said, I stand with that guy and not my own people, uh, that's disloyal. That's un-American. There are a lot of Republicans who feel like I do. They're afraid to come forward. Most Republican voters are tired of the drama. 
They're tired of his BS. So Joe Walsh throwing his hat in, going to attempt to primary the uh, the sitting president. I think this is all for naught, if you ask me. Uh, like I said, it's been he's been for like you know his two followers on Twitter, very vocal <laughs> against the president. Uh, but the president has the backing of the GOP. He has the backing of eighty six percent of Republicans. I think this is more Joe Walsh trying to uh, get airtime for his dis. Uh, his hatred of the sitting president. Well, speaking of airtime, he is a conservative radio host, former congressman from Illinois. And um, Walsh was quoted as saying recently, Joe, that he helped create Donald Trump. In other words, uh, it was his outspokenness, his controversial statements, his ability to be inflammatory. He thinks that's what propelled or at least helped propel Donald Trump to this position which includes, of course, all of those outrageous statements that Trump is known for. So Walsh is taking credit for kind of creating that mold, if you will. Uh, and it now, all of a sudden, has turned on Trump and is going to challenge him. I don't think he has a prayer. No, a lot of people like you, you know, didn't even really know where the guy was from. It, it's interesting um, that there are these these Republicans like Joe Walsh, like Bill Kristol, who— um, are very vocal against the president, but it does seem to be a very small minority of Republicans. Brenda, we, it seems like I say this every week. There's things I disagree with the president on, uh, his Twitter use being one of them. I also disagree with Mark Pullenkars' uh, Twitter use, but that's a, that's a different episode, <laughs> a different show. Um, but I disagree with some, some things the president tweets out. Like I said, I look at that and go, why? What, what, what was the necessity of tweeting stuff out? Like, you know, I tweet stuff out that probably makes people say why, but I'm not the president. Yeah, right. You know, um, it's a fair cry to compare yourself to somebody like Trump. Well, hey, one of these days, right? <laughs> but, you know, I, I um, but also I look at what the guy has done. You take away all of the, uh, and I know for some people that's tough, but you take away the the comments, you take away the tweets. He has done what he said he was going to do. He has attempted to almost start on everything he ran on. So as a Republican, I don't know where Joe Walsh thinks these votes are coming from. If you look at the polls that say 86% of Republicans support the president, the GOP, the the Republican Party supports the president. He's obviously not going to get Democrat votes. We're talking about a a Second Amendment guy. Like you said, we're talking a a Tea Party guy. So you're not going to get Democrat votes. There aren't the Republican votes there to oust President Trump on the Republican ticket. So really, I do I do think it's just, you know, kind of a show-off thing. I really don't know where he thinks his votes are coming well, from. It makes me wonder, too, what's his motive? Why, you know, here he is. He said he only served for a couple of years in Congress. He's a talk show host, um, espouses conservative views, and certainly has a forum for that now that he has his own show. Why would he do this? Is it just to say, hey, look at me? Or, you know, and I sort of made that analogy last week, Joe, when we talked about Rob Ort entering New York 27, that race. Does he have a prayer against somebody like Chris Jacobs or even a Beth Perlato? I don't know. Or is it just a way to get the Rob Ort name out there? I'd be curious to see if other people draw an analogy between a Joe Walsh who was, you know, putting his name out there to uh, go up against President Trump in a primary when you know he probably doesn't have a prayer. So what's the motive? I look at half of the Democrats running right now in the primaries. Uh, Bill de Blasio, uh, who's our senator? (laughs) Kirsten Gillibrand. Kirsten Gillibrand. I look at those people, and and Joe Walsh kind of reminds me of that. What is the end game? I mean, where is Joe Walsh going with that? He's obviously not going to lose the primary, which there won't be one, and give the money to Trump. 
You know, you see some of these people on stage in the Democrats, they can take that campaign money and put it towards another campaign. They can't put it in their pocket, but they can put it towards another campaign. I don't see Joe Walsh giving his money to Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Here's my armchair psychology, Joe. I think when Walsh tipped his hand and said, I made Trump who he is, I think he's really watching Trump's incredible worldwide notoriety, fame, whatever uh, word you want to use, and saying, hey, wait a minute, I was the first guy who was like this, and I made, I allowed this guy to be like this because of what I've done, and now it probably rankles him that he's not the guy in the spotlight. Makes me wonder, could it be something that small and petty, maybe ego-driven? It'd be interesting. We'll never know the truth, Brenda. Probably you know? not. But speaking of, uh, uh, of President Trump, here's what Joe Walsh said of his uh, stability. He's nuts. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Tell us how you really think, Joe. So uh, not a fan of the president. He was a supporter during the 2016 election, a very vocal supporter. It didn't take long if you follow his tweets, which I was really bored this morning during the ABC show and did. It didn't take long after the inauguration for Joe Walsh to turn. It's funny. A lot of Democrats like to retweet his tweets about the president. But then, like, the next tweet will be Joe Walsh talking about gun rights, and that same Democrat will then retweet and go, this guy's an idiot. So it, it's very interesting to see the love-hate relationship. And, and that's why I say I don't really see Joe Walsh's thing. I think, Brenda, you might, have, you might be right. He feels, wait a minute, Donald Trump's me. Huh? I'm the kingmaker, and yet here's the guy who's the king, and it should be me. Right, like— because well, let's face it, there's a lot of ego involved in any politics. I mean, you have to put yourself out there, and there takes a certain ego to uh, position yourself as somebody who wants to run for office because you're going to take a lot of slings and arrows, and if you have any skeletons in the closet, and who doesn't, that likely will come out. And even among your supporters, you you know, people turn on you. So it does take a very strong personality and a very solid ego, I think, to run for any office, even on a local level, Joe. Look at, you know, look at the um, the criticism people take on a local level. Oh, right. I mean, it never stops. There's some people you see the stuff come out uh, when they run for office and you think, didn't you know that was going to come out? Right. You know, they always seem so shocked that to they me, couldn't keep it. uh Locked up. Gary Hart is the epitome of that. When he challenged the reporters to follow him, and then he went on the boat, and he was seeing another woman, and it all blew up in his face. I mean, that was a classic case of somebody who I think was blinded by ego and got caught. I well, I think in politics, Brenda, we've we've done this show before. That show before, uh, ego is huge in politicians. Eight oh three oh nine thirty. What do you think about Trump in the tariffs? What do you think of Joe Walsh running for president, trying to get? Uh, President Trump primary sounds crazy. Uh, here's one more thing before we go to the, go to the break. Another part of uh, Joe Walsh's big announcement. He's a narcissist. Everything he cares about, the only thing he cares about is Trump. 803-0930, it's Hardline. We are back on Hardline, News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you for 40 more minutes. You want to give us a call? 803-0930. Joe Walsh running for president. China, Trump, tariff, trade war. And did you read the Buffalo News this morning? Brenda did. I did. And they're talking about the stadium. It's right on the, the front page. The stadium's there again. It is. Should it stay? Should it be in downtown Buffalo? Should it stay in Orchard Park? 
love to hear your thoughts about that as well. Um, you know, I was talking earlier in the show, Joe, about how I had gone down to the Bills game in Indianapolis last October and how beautiful Lucas Oil Stadium is. And it's right in the heart of downtown Indy. So uh, you're there in the business district. There's plenty of restaurants. There's plenty of uh, 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 places, you know, small parks that pop up, uh, businesses, obviously. There seemed to be a spillover domino effect from locating the stadium there. My friend who lives there said it's been good for the uh, Indy economic uh, climate. So if it were up to me, I would love to see the stadium located downtown with a new convention center in Buffalo. Because I think our current convention center is an absolute dinosaur. Not large enough, doesn't help draw business because we don't have enough space, and I think it's aesthetically pretty pretty ugly. You know, it's not a, a very good-looking building, especially when you have so many other beautiful pieces of architecture in downtown Buffalo. So if it were up to me and I could wave a magic buffalo wand, I would suggest putting that stadium in the heart of downtown, perhaps in the cobblestone area, and somehow attach a new convention center to it. Well, you know, uh, yeah, maybe we could put a casino in the convention center I once think, uh, we build a new one. I wasn't thinking that. Um, here, here's what, here's my thoughts on the stadium. Uh, I love where the stadium is now. It's easy to get traffic in and out, easier than it would be downtown. Um, you've got a lot of businesses set up around the stadium that are legendary with the bills. You've got the Big Tree Inn. You've got O'Neill's. You used to have tailgaters. Um, you know, and you move the stadium downtown, you get rid of the one thing Buffalo fans love more than the Bills, and that's tailgating. You move it downtown, you're not going to have the tailgate atmosphere you have in Orchard Park. It would be a new atmosphere. Yeah. Well, There'll still be plenty of tables to jump through and light on fire. See, I don't know. You look at a lot of these, and downtown stadiums aren't the norm that they used to be. You see a lot of teams moving out of downtown. Well, I've seen quite a few downtown, though, and it's it's really nice because you don't even have to go outside to some degree. If you come from, say, a hotel that's attached to it, um, I've seen that happen as well in other cities where there's that natural progression going from your hotel and then right into the stadium it just lends itself to that joe i i really appreciate that and um you know and i i can appreciate also what you're saying about orchard park because it's been such a a long-standing tradition to head to the south towns but the idea of having a stadium in the snow belt just never made a whole lot of sense to me no but doesn't it make for some memorable games certainly yes here's where i stand on downtown excuse me um Look after a Sabres game. That's only 18,000 people, all right? Let's figure 3,000 of those take some other form of transportation than a car, okay? Getting 15,000 people out of downtown Buffalo is a pain in the you-know-what. Also, have you ever gone outside and taken a, a deep breath? It's not just Cheerios you smell after a big event at the arena, okay? So now you're going to throw in 70,000 people. A, you'd have to expand the metro rail to get to wherever the stadium is. That's a must, okay? But getting, say, even 55,000 people out of downtown Buffalo via car is almost impossible. And I don't see the county or the city budging on expanding the roads. Well, I don't- Joe, that's because we're not used to a lot of traffic in this area. I mean, you go to other major cities, you know, you travel. And the, the traffic, you might be in traffic for over an hour if you're lucky and get out. But I think, obviously, uh, significant changes would have to be made to the infra- uh, infrastructure of downtown to get people in and out. The, the egress, the ingress would have to be changed, modified, updated. Um, there's a lot that goes with it. 
But from a strategic standpoint, I think it can only help the downtown area to continue to have people to live in that area, uh, to continue to have businesses thriving in that area. Because Orchard Park, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday. The only reason some folks ever venture down there is to go to the stadium maybe eight, ten times a year. Uh, certainly there's a large population down there, and it's a lovely area. I think the community of Orchard Park is absolutely beautiful. And plenty of other areas in the South Towns are as well. But it never made a lot of sense to me to have a stadium located down there in the snow belt. Just doesn't make sense to me. I just I here here's where I stand. You're right about Hey, until I moved to Orchard Park, the only reason I went there was for the stadium, was to see the Bills play. That was all I knew how to get to. Or maybe to. the occasional concert. Yeah, and that was all I knew how to get to. Now, the stadium that the Bills play in now, New Era Field, has a lot of character, right? I mean, it's the stadium I grew up going to. It's in the out of all the NFL stadiums, the only one I've been to in the NFL where you feel like you're right on top of the action. Um, now, you know, you build a downtown stadium. I think... A new stadium is going to lose that character New Era Field has, right? You go to, have you ever been to FedEx Field in, in Washington, D.C.? I have not. You are so far away from the action. I mean, I think I might have been watch it on TV. Right. <laughs> I, I might have been closer to the action when I saw uh, Virginia Tech play Tennessee at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, then at FedEx Field, it, there's just no character. That, the stadium now, it gets so loud. And the people of Orchard Park, the way they support that team, the businesses, and Back to my initial point, the infrastructure is already there. We saw the Mets do this in 2008 where they moved right across the street. Now, it was a year of hell for people going to the game because there was nowhere to park, but that's also an area that the subway goes more than two stops. Um, You know, so I think when you've already got everything in Orchard Park and you've got downtown coming along so well with the things that are there, a lot more projects to be done. I don't know why throwing a stadium into it would be important to that. Now, I agree when it comes to a convention center, something that brings more events in than the same three or five every year. I mean, it seems now this convention center only doesn't book anything new. We have the same few conventions. We have the disco, and that's it. So I'm all on board for a new convention center if it brings people downtown, it brings people in from out of town. But when it comes to the stadium, I just look at everything – in Orchard Park, I look at the infrastructure already being there. I look at all that space. If you want to build a new stadium across the street, again, I would be like Chicago and just do some more modifications than they're doing now. Maybe take a – the problem is we don't have uh, Illinois University to play at for a year like they did. Uh, but do those kind of renovations other than throwing a stadium downtown where a lot of work would have to be done, and I'm not sure – that would go along with everything else that's coming along so nicely. 45 years, though, Joe, that Rich Stadium has been out there now, of course, called New Era Field. But by all accounts, it's considered outdated. And they, um, a lot of money has been sunk into that stadium, too. $57 million, Joe, was sunk into there in 1998. And then it's almost obsolete, right? Because then they put in another $130 million in 2012. The Pagulas are buying up property around Key Bank Center. I don't think they're doing it for fun. I mean, there's got to be a strategy involved here. So I would love to know what people think about that. I, I, no, I, I do think the Pagulas want a downtown stadium. And a texture brings up a good point. You have a lot of – I think Buff I, – I, and um, I might bring this up on my podcast on Wednesday. You have Buffalo right in the middle of Big Ten 
in ACC country. I think a, I think a game involving an ACC team and a Big Ten team to kick off the season in Buffalo would be great. You'd have people coming from the Midwest. You'd have people coming from uh, the Northeast or the Southeast and play uh, to play uh, to watch their team play in a stadium. Now I'm all for that. The texture brought that up. I've mentioned that a few times, and I think a new stadium would attract that. Again, my whole thing is. The infrastructure's not there downtown when you've already got it in Orchard Park. This will be uh, something we'll talk about the next half hour, Brenda and I, and hopefully you at 803-0930. But first, let's get caught up with Neil McManus. I feel like this should be the intro for something else, but it's Hardline <laughs> on News Radio 930 WBEN. I feel a little undercurrent of disco there, too, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frank is rocking. Frank's got the crystal ball moving in there, too. Did you notice it? Yeah, I love it. I love it. We got to keep it in there. <laughs> it is Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you for 23 more minutes. Uh, kind of started talking about the stadium. Uh, it was in the paper today talking about, was it talking about moving the stadium downtown, Brenda? In the, in the Cobblestone District. Uh, and, you know, what would it be like? What would it entail? And who owns it? You know, the Seneca Nation is part of it as well. The developers, there's developers, the city and the Seneca Nation, who own much of that land where they're talking about the possible location of a downtown stadium. And, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, folks, I'm all for it. I've been to other cities where the stadiums are downtown. It becomes, you know, a key component of that downtown business district. And I think that the spinoff effect, uh, the potential for other businesses around that area would be tremendous. Now, is there a certain charm to Orchard Park, Joe? Absolutely. I mean, I was a, my husband and I were season ticket holders for more than two decades back in the glory days of the Bills. And it's, it was a lot of fun to go down there. But I didn't appreciate being in the snow belt. And uh, you say there's character. I didn't think there was a whole lot of character. I think what brought character to the game were the people, the the guy dressed like Elvis and the Pancho Billas of the world and the, you know, the nuns that you see and the chefs and all the folks who really make the Bills game an experience. By the way, uh, Bills Elvis, a avid WBEN listener. Glad to hear. Um, there, There is, though, if you go... Because the NFL stadiums now have gotten, the fan base has gotten so corporate. You know, it's not like you go to a Bills game, you go to a Packers game, it feels like you're at an SEC game. It feels like you're at an Alabama game. And no coincidence, those are small markets. Right, right. We are Green Bay, even I think um, Cleveland to some degree. But I think as Buffalo, you want to keep that that feeling. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to turn into the Giants fan base or the... Not the Red. The Redskins are a bad example because you're talking about a fan base that has a decades-long waiting list for season tickets. <laughs> right. That, Very rabid fans. Yeah, that it's actually in people's wills uh, when That's they pass right. away. Much like the Packers. Yeah. Um, by the way, did you know our engineer Al is a Packers shareholder? No, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see him tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'll wear green and gold for Al. He was going through. Um, now he's a Bills fan, but he was going through his uh, his mail and he had the. Um, the stuff they were going to vote on at the shareholders meeting. How it did was, he get that? They went up for sale um, when they needed new stuff done on the stadium, and they put a few more shares out there, and Al jumped right <laughs> on it because how many people can say they own a part of an NFL team? That's very impressive. So, yeah, he is a Green Bay Packers shareholder. And you know what? If shares went on sale tomorrow, I'd buy a share. Why that, not? Just that's to say cool. that. Yeah, absolutely. And then go to a shareholders meeting in my Bills jersey. Uh, <laughs> and a cheesehead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So I, I, 
but there is something about that stadium. And then you go to, like I said, even though the Redskins fans are um, are rabid, that stadium is just so you just feel so far away from the action. And at, at, at Ralph Wilson Stadium or New Era Field, uh, you're so you know everyone's so close together in there, and that place does get really loud. The the noise doesn't escape that stadium very easily. Yeah, I love uh, when we're on defense in particular. And the one thing that annoys the heck out of me is that train whistle that they use. <laughs> oh my goodness, it makes me crazy to hear that. You know, I would rather hear you know the stampeding buffalo sound effect, which I think is really cool, and the fans yelling defense. And as Sandy Beach always points out, somebody's holding the D and somebody's holding the fence. To me, Joe, that's what creates the character and the ambiance of that and I think you can move all of that to a new location I don't think it's the physical building that creates the character and the ambiance I do think it's something about the way that stadium's set up I, 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 I can't put my finger on it so I'm giving you a bad example but there is something about the way that stadium is set up how you feel you're on top of the action um, that I don't I don't feel at other stadiums but like, what makes you think you can't do that in downtown Buffalo I just feel like the, the way new stadiums are built aren't built like New Era Field. Look at what they did to, um, you know, what was then Pilot Field, how they created that sort of Buffalo feel to it. So I think, you know, architecturally it can be done. The thing is, will everybody agree on that? But, by the way, that train whistle, if you play Madden and you're the Bills on third down, the train whistle is in right? Madden. So oh my I don't think they're getting rid of it anytime soon, so. Brenda. It just makes me nuts every time I hear that. <laughs> 803-0930. Texter says the trouble with new stadiums and convention centers that they are supposed to bring in revenue, they never do, and the pay trickles down to the taxpayer. Stop spending and get control of property taxes. Well, they would be refreshing to have control of property taxes, although I think they've gotten, to the Texter's point, some control. I think there's been more of a focus on property taxes being slashed, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a whole other debate about the money spent on these stadiums and other things. But to me, it's all about quality of life, Joe. And so, you know, for us to have an NFL team is a pretty big deal in a market this size. Uh, And I do think that the way this city has undergone a tremendous renaissance, it would only make sense to have a stadium downtown. I just think there's other key factors. Like I said, infrastructure to me is huge, Brenda, because, yes, you go to other cities and traffic is always an issue. But leaving a Sabres game in Buffalo and leaving a – I know this is going to be an awful, uh, awful one, but leaving an Indians game in Cleveland, people leave, the, the infrastructure in Cleveland gets people out of there quicker than gets 15,000 people out of Buffalo. That's what I'm saying. It's just it, – it, we have a beautiful downtown, and every day it gets even better, but the roads are still so narrow. You have – I just don't think you have – the ability to get 70,000 people out when in Orchard Park, that ability is already there. You've already got those awesome bars around the stadium, the big tree, O'Neill's. Where do those go? You know what I mean? I mean, what happens to the business that depends in Orchard Park on the bills? That would be a concern, certainly. And somebody brings up a good point, too, about a a downtown stadium. Uh, One of our texters says would be obnoxious in capital letters, they say. Uh, for anyone that wants to enjoy Canal Side on an autumn Sunday, infrastructure is already in Orchard Park. So they clearly agree with you, Joe. Um, but yeah, you know, you, there's a lot of improvements and a lot of work that would have to go into figuring out the ingress and the egress of those types of uh, street situations, parking, the flow of traffic in and out. And certainly, I would want to see nothing detract from Canal Side. 
It's a great place to just sit down and read a book, have a cup of coffee, sit in one of those Adirondack chairs, people watch, or participate in something, you know, more actively. You have a lot of choices down there. So uh, not at all, Texter, what I wanted to track from that. No, for sure. And, you know, to your point, say they do put the stadium downtown, it would only make sense to put the convention center in the stadium like they do in Atlanta and in other cities that are escaping my mind now. Um, and again, to bring in those big events that might use the stadium and the convention center. I'd love to hear what other people say, 803-0930, because there are a lot of folks who travel and you know go to different Bills games in other cities, and I'd like to know what their perception is uh, of how those cities handle their stadiums, what the traffic was like going in and out of the game. Uh, I've been to Miami. Joe, I was not overly impressed with that stadium. Have you ever been down there? Hard Rock Stadium? Yeah, and there are the fans in Miami also – um, we don't want to get into that. Um, but yeah, I've been, to, I've been to that stadium a few times to see uh, Virginia Tech Miami. Feels far away, doesn't it, from the yes. action? Yes. Yeah, I definitely felt that. Um, the ambiance was kind of cool. They had a lot of different food stands that I found interesting. Uh, a nod to the, uh, the proximity to Cuba. There were some Cuban stands and there were Spanish foods available. Um, and the typical kind of things that you would see at a stadium. But there was nothing about it that really stood out in my mind that made me say, gee, I really want to come back here, other than the weather was absolutely gorgeous. No, I've been to that stadium a few times, but let me tell you, Brenda, the stadium that had a lot of character and was almost falling apart, the old Orange Bowl that the Hurricanes played in, I saw. Now, he was, on, he was injured this season, so he was on the bench, but current Bills running back Frank Gore was on the Miami Hurricanes 2002 when I was in eighth grade. So seeing them, uh, they unfortunately defeated Virginia Tech. But that they've since torn down, but that's one of those stadiums that kind of had that character, like yeah. you said, right on top of the field. Hard Rock Stadium, you're far back. I mean, that's a stadium that went through a lot of changes. It was built for football only. Then they added baseball. Then they took baseball away and went back to football only. But they couldn't make up their mind. No. Is it a floor wax or a dessert topping? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So 803-0930, we'd love to hear what you say about a stadium, a convention center. In what events would you want to try to attract with those new structures? 803-0930, it's Hardline. All right, just about nine more minutes left here on Hardline. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy talking about stadium, convention center, the futures. Um, someone said, Joe keeps mentioning Big Trian and O'Neill's. Don't forget Danny South. I'm sorry, of course. The originator, Joe, of chicken wing soup. Really? Yes. Wow. I remember when they had first debuted at Danny South, and it is delicious. I'll have to go try that. Oh, it's very good. Uh, you know me, though. I had a lot of extra Frank's hot sauce. Oh, yeah. Can't be enough. Really? I love hot sauce. I carry hot sauce in my purse. Oh, do you, Hillary? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love me my hot sauce. Uh, Texter says, we love our bills, even love our old rich slash new era stadium, like our h- historic architecture, but the cost to even refit it properly. That was the text. I like the first part of that. Yes. I the, think we the do cost like, would be exorbitant. I think we do like our older our older um, architecture. I mean, look at the buildings downtown that we've held on to. Mm-hmm. Some of them we've done properly, like the Lafayette. Some still need a lot of work, like the Statler Towers. But people, I mean, people around here hold on to those those buildings. You know, and, and even the Hyatt is a, a good example, Joe, because they used. Um, They built the Genesee Bar using some of the original material from that bar back in the day, that building. 
so there's a lot of that, you know, sort of a nod to the past, uh, incorporating it with the future and, and modern tendencies that you see today. I think they can do it upright in Buffalo. I think they would be a, a key part of the stadium that there has to be something very Buffalo centric about it. Uh, if this were ever to come to fruition in downtown Buffalo. But simply put, I think the texture's right, that the the uh, cost of retrofitting or renovating the stadium in Orchard Park would just be prohibitive. Another texture says, all for something that brings work and jobs to the area. Also, crime would take a deserved big hit. Hmm. Interesting, Interesting perspective. Take. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd like to know a little more about that point. Yeah, texture. Uh, add on. Or give yes. us a call, 803-0930. Yeah, we still have time for a call. Yeah, here's here's the thing. I think I see what Pagula wants to do, and it makes sense that the stadium is going to go downtown. I am still all for it to be in Orchard Park, refit the new one, or build one across the street. However, I think I know Terry Pagula kind of wants to have Pagula Square downtown, <laughs> where you have the arena, you have the Harbor Center, you have the Labatt uh, Brew House, and then the stadium. And don't forget their office buildings. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That as well. Oh, there's a, they've had a tremendous influence on this area. So, um, but a lot to consider. You've got three developers. You've got the Seneca Nation. Uh, there's others who have a, a big role in this, a big say in this. And it'll be interesting if everybody can come to an agreement. You know how difficult it is to find consensus, Joe, that's in for this sure. town and among others who have a lot of money and have a lot of strong opinions. So um, that, I think, would be the biggest challenge. You know, Brenda, um, before we get out of here, I have another topic I wanted to bring up with you, and I should have mentioned it off the air to not catch you off guard. But this week, Sean Spicer, they're talking about it on TV right now. <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Was announced with Dancing with the Stars. Can you believe the backlash ABC got for putting for putting Sean Spicer on Dancing you with the Stars? You know what my feeling is, Joe? Who cares? I mean, I right. don't care if... If it's him or a Democrat or anybody else, I think, you know, for his career, it's kind of embarrassing. But on the other hand, what does he do? But are we living in a time where because you disagree with someone politically, you're going to get upset? I mean, even yes, Tom, we are living in that time. Even Tom Bergeron, the host of the show, spoke out against it. It, it, it. To me, it's just we have to be able, and I know you and I seem to get on this point every week on Hardline, we have to get to a point where we can separate people's politics and who the person is. Joe, I think it's less and less. I mean, we talk about that happening, and I don't. I think it's getting worse, not better. And I'm, that's a good example of a TV show where a guy is going to be dancing. Yeah. And they're complaining about it because of who he is. Now, it's not like you have Adolf Hitler on there. It, exactly. It, yeah, it's like, who cares if he's up there dancing? I don't care. I like the fact that he wears red, white, and blue socks, by the way. But you, <laughs> he has on a great pair of socks. But you do have a guy who most people think— was involved with a murder in 2000. We're still waiting to find his white suit from that night. He's on the show. Not one tweet about it. Not one. Tom Bergeron didn't say, well, you know, we usually don't like people who, um, who pled down from a murder charge. No, that's okay. Sean Spicer, though, Twitter is still going crazy about it. Yeah. Well, I think anything related to Trump is a lightning rod. And that, I think, is a terrific example of that because this guy, you know, Joe, uh, to, to your point, too, about this, if you ask 10 people who Sean Spicer is, I bet maybe five would not even know who he is. Oh, yeah. But now he's in this public limelight because of this dumb dancing show, and it's going to go nuts. Now, all of a sudden, everybody knows who he is. Do you watch Dancing with the Stars? No, I don't. No? My parents are big Dancing oh, with the Stars I have fans. family members who love the show. <laughs> I just never did it for me. It, it, it just, it amazes me. And I don't know why I'm still amazed. I don't know why I still have the reaction. Like, what? When I saw, because as you know, in the morning we have ABC on. Right. Because of our weather through Channel 7. And Good Morning America was doing the announcements. And I go, Ray Lewis? 
you know, Lamar Odom, who, by the way, was just in rehab a few uh, few months ago. Right. No one said anything about that. But Sean Spicer and everyone goes insane. You know, even seeing Ray Lewis on the NFL shows bugs me because I think he got away with murder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who's next, OJ? By the way, so he pled uh, to a misdemeanor charge and had to pay a fine uh, for lying to the police. That's what he uh That pled. was the ultimate outcome. That's what he, he pled guilty to so he could be a um, witness in the trial. Do you know what happened to the two guys that dead. St- stayed on trial? The two guys that— They're dead, aren't they? Well, I don't know about that, but they, they didn't get convicted. The case got thrown out of court because I think most people think Ray Lewis was probably— I mean, again— when we find O.J. Simpson's uh, suitcase, we'll find Ray Lewis's white suit. Yeah, right. <laughs> the real killer has it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh. But yeah. um, I just, I was, I, I meant to say something earlier about that this week um, when that was on TV. I just could not believe, I mean, again, I can't believe that Dancing at the Stars is the hit that it is. But <laughs> It's really what boggles my mind. But, but I do think in this day and age when everything is so, you know, quick to inflame people, that they'll seize on anything, that people will go crazy. And again, you have the anonymity of Twitter. So you can pretty much say or do whatever you want and hide behind a keyboard. And uh, that's why I think it'll only get worse, Joe. I don't think the civility is going to be better. In fact, I'm glad you brought this up, Joe, because Cindy McCain was doing the morning show circuit today, talking about how there has to be more civility in politics and how she's hoping to help bring that back and hope that the people who are running in Arizona will follow the lead of her husband who tried to keep that going, the, the air of civility, even among people who disagree. So Cindy McCain is out there trying to make a case for it. I don't think it's going to work. No, I, I saw her on CNN this morning talking about that. Well, Brenda, another great episode of Hardline in the books. Always a pleasure to be here. We'll be off next week because of Labor Day. That's right. Can you believe this is the last Sunday oh, in August? Don't. Oh, I know. You know, but thank I you lo- to everybody for listening and texting in. I love the holidays. So, you know, we're getting closer and closer. And you know, Brenda, this is my favorite time of the year. College football. We had two games last night. All the rest. Week one starts on Thursday. UB playing Robert Morris. At home, uh, Thursday night, and then the big Virginia Tech-Boston College game, 4 p.m. on Saturday. I'll be there, of course. Um, so, you hear my voice today, how it's a little strained? That's going to be every hard line from here <laughs> through uh, through October. I'm, th- I'm sorry, through November. I can't wait for the NFL season to start. So, let's get that fourth preseason game in the books <laughs> and uh, on to the real deal. And keep everyone healthy. Yes. By the way, first and foremost, if you are a college football fan or just want to hear what's out there, who the Bills might be going after next year in the draft, premiering Wednesday, the Joe Beamer College Football Podcast on WGR550.com and on WBEN.com. It'll be posted at noon every Wednesday, obviously, right after Beach and Company. Um, And let me know. It's my first podcast attempt. So obviously the first few might be a little rough. uh, But, you know, I love the feedback. Constructive uh, criticism, always welcome. And I have another project in the works that I'll be announcing in a few weeks. Till then, it's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN Buffalo. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.